So Liz D'Angelo is going to read a portion from John 16 today. And just so you know, the portion of scripture she's going to read is going to take a little bit, but I can't think of any better time to spend today than listening to the words of Jesus. Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time for grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there are two major gifts in this passage that Jesus gives. And he's going to share it with all of his disciples. And those gifts are joy and peace. And I think if you were to interview pretty much anyone and you were to ask them, what, what do they want their lives to be all about? What are their life's goals? I think somewhere in that interview would come up one of these things, if not both, right? Joy and peace. I think this is how we've been created. So somewhere someone's going to say, I just want to be happy. I just want to have a, like a full life and be fulfilled and be satisfied. I want to look around and, and look around at things in my life. And I want to be able to smile. I want to have joy. Or somewhere they're going to say, like, I, I want to just know everything's going to be okay. I want to know that everything's going to be all right. I want, like, whatever is inside my soul, I want it to, like, quiet down. I want peace. 
And yet I, I don't, I just don't know how many times I've thought about these gifts that Jesus is promising to give, joy and peace. And yet as much as I've thought about them, I don't think I've ever come close to exhausting what they mean. I don't, I don't know that I've understood all of them. On this evening, Jesus is talking about these gifts that he's going to give to his disciples and by extension to us. And I think this passage can really help you today know that joy has come and that peace is possible. That joy has come and that peace is possible. Can we start with joy? Our, our normal thought pattern is this, right? For me to have joy, things generally, they kind of need to go my way. If I'm going to have joy, I kind of need to have things go the way I want them to go. Everything has to be maybe like an experience I had in the past, and I think if I could just get there again, like if I just recreate that, then that would put lots of smiles on my face. Or we have this envisioned future, and we go, if everything were to go just this way as I planned, then that would bring me joy. Or if it would go better, that would certainly bring me joy. We get that, right? No doubt, things going our way brings a great, great feeling. You win, you achieve something good happens to you, you see something pleasant, you feel something exciting. It's a, it's a person, it's a place, it's an experience, a, a sense of pleasure or happiness, that's joy. And yet as you think about it even more, you begin to realize that many times joy is pretty connected. It's hinged on circumstances where everything has to be just right, where everything has to go in such a way that we don't lose. A lot of our joy is connected to that. You take those things away and the game changes, but the fact is we're not in a game at all. It's life. It feels like if you take those things away, it's going to hurt. And here's the challenge. Our circumstances, the good circumstances we think we need for joy, just oftentimes are very far out of our control. So that poses its challenges. On the night Jesus is teaching all this, he's intentionally taking his disciples down a different path and his disciples are struggling. You open this passage and even as Liz read a moment ago, the disciples are frankly confused. They don't know exactly what Jesus is talking about. They, they're not really sure when will we see Jesus, when we, won't we see Jesus, when will we see Jesus again. They don't want to tell Jesus, we're not really getting it. Did you hear that? And this would be so us. We would do this. Even the boldest of disciples. We would not want to tell Jesus, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not getting it. We would probably be the ones that would just seriously nod, even though we're going, I don't know what's going on. It's more than a little humorous to me to think that Jesus knows exactly what's going on in their minds all along. And so Jesus doesn't guarantee that things won't be hard, but he does speak to them as they're uncertain about what the future holds. You hear it in verse 20 of John 16, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament. And while you are crying, the world is going to be rejoicing. You will be sorrowful. Listen to the language. Do you hear it? Weep lament, sorrow. Another verse is going to say anguish. And, and the world, even in that, is going to be laughing. So 
Jesus is just telling it straight here. Things are going to be hard, and this is so helpful to me because even this week I talk to people. I talk to people close to me who are dealing with, dealing with death, dealing with real fears for their own lives and, and their kids, uncertain of what's next, weary from constant pressure. And what Jesus is reminding us is he goes there with us. He's saying, you're going to experience sorrow. He's preparing them. He's preparing these disciples for his betrayal. He's preparing these disciples for his arrest, for his crucifixion. It's coming, and that will mean each one of these 11 individuals will be very, very sorrowful. And yet in the midst of that, probably in the garden at Gethsemane, there were some soldiers that came to get Jesus that were probably smiling. We know at the foot of the cross, there were men mocking and laughing. Jesus tells him, this is the way it's going to go. But, but pay attention to what's going on in verse 20. Oh yeah, you're going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow is going to turn into joy. Joy is coming. And here's the analogy he uses. In verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she, when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. He uses the comparison of childbirth, some of the worst pain imaginable, or so I'm told. I learned very early, you just, you don't even pretend as a guy to understand any of this, so you don't even go there. But Jesus at least uses an analogy to help us understand. We're talking about some of the worst pain producing some of the greatest joy on the other side of this. The emotion that even as I think about looking at the the three kids in our family and the joy they brought on the day they were born. How much joy that brought. Jesus is making promises. And what he's saying, did you hear it? The presence of sorrow is not going to be a barrier or an obstacle to the experience of the most joy imaginable. There's something for the believer that grounds joy deeper than everything going my way. Every circumstance possibly kind of like falling my way. Yep, yep, that too, that too, that too. Everything went perfect today. Jesus says that, you're not going to have to have that to have real joy. There's something that grounds it. You're not going to need that for a driving emotion in the presence of joy. Jesus says that knowing full well, that the deepest joys are relational. That's why I think in verse 22, the deepest joys are relational. So he says, you're going to have sorrow now, but I will see you again. There's going to be a relationship here. And your hearts are going to rejoice and no one's going to take that joy from you. I will see you again. Jesus is saying, you're going to watch me die, but I will rise again. There's resurrection coming and joy is going to come with it. The world would say to you and to me, to have the greatest joy of your life, you've, you've got to kind of look inside and follow your heart and you've got to be you and you've got to be true to yourself. And Jesus says, actually, your greatest joy is going to be in the fact that you're close to me. Your greatest joy is going to be that you rest in me. The joy that never can be taken away is actually going to be when you order your life as I tell you. Your deepest joy are going to be in the fact that you can trust me right now. You can trust me with the future. You can trust me that we're, we are together. I will see you. And your hearts are going to rejoice and no one's going to be able to like repossess that or liquidate that. No one's going to steal it. And there's one more layer to this joy. 
Again, I, I think deep joys are almost always, for me, relational. And our deep joy comes because we are in a family relationship, not just with Jesus, but also with the Heavenly Father. This presses on us. Look at verse 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus, in the context of joy that comes even through this deep sorrow that we might experience, he says, you will be able to ask the Father anything in my name, and he's going to give it to you. So Jesus is taking this experience of joy, and he's saying, joy comes because you know me, and I'm going to see you again. And joy is going to come because you can talk to the Heavenly Father. You, verse 24, you ask and you'll receive and your joy is just going to be full. Jesus wants to make sure you and I connect joy with asking things from our Heavenly Father. This is like the the parent-child relationship. And it's fairly relentless for a child, especially at, at a very young age. They're always asking for things, right? Always I need this. I need this. Can you do this? Could you do this? Could you just drop everything and do this for me right now? That's almost implied all the time. It's it's 24-7 with the the child. And then there's not only the things they're asking for, it's the unverbalized needs that they have, like a dirty diaper that has to be changed, a messy face after a meal that has to be clean. A child needs their parents, and we need our Heavenly Father. I think of how honoring it is when a teenager would say to his mom, to her mom, mom, I really need your help. You know how to handle this situation. I don't. How honored the mom would be, how, how much the mom would love that. And the kid would receive the wisdom that the mom could offer. You know, you know this, right? With our Heavenly Father, we never grow out of that. We never mature out of needing our father. Our Heavenly Father. Grown-up Christianity is never about depending on our Father less. That That isn't the way it works. So we ask the Father for things, and we ask in the name of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. You're going to ask things of the Father in my name. Your relationship with Jesus is going to add a dimension to prayer. So you think of the name of Jesus, which is above every other name. And when we pray with his name in mind, it isn't like, well, with his name in mind, that's just going to be, I can get greedy and selfish and just ask for it. It's actually when Jesus' name is in mind, we ask with Jesus as the center of the universe, not us. And how that shapes our prayers. Like Jesus, we want what's best for us, but ultimately we want you glorified. So we're going to ask this in your name. Jesus could say, until now, you you really, you've asked nothing in my name. But that night, as he's talking to his disciples, he's saying, asking you receive, that your joy would just be full, completely full, and not like that bag of potato chips that just like everything settles, and it's like, I think a third of this bag is full. Not like that at all. It's actually maxed out your joy, overflowing. Of course, of course, of course, there's going to be days that are just kind of blah. There's going to be days that it doesn't feel like the best feeling ever. Of course, there's going to be days where you're just hanging on for the ride. But over the course of your life as a follower of Jesus, actually what Jesus is telling you and me is the dominant expression of our lives is going to be one where we go, it could not be any better for me 
because I have Jesus. I, I, I have him. I'm so glad I have him. He brings such pleasure to my life. I can ask and I don't have to be afraid. I can draw near without fear of rejection. How could it be so good for me? Jesus said, your, your life is just going to overflow with joy in that day. You're going to ask in my name, Jesus says, and I'm not even saying that I'll have to ask the Father, like, kind of go to bat for you on, on your behalf, because the Father himself, it says, he loves you in verse 27. I'm not twisting the Father's arm. That's not why you're praying in my name. The Father loves you. Remember, he's talking about this joy that just cannot possibly be taken away in verse 22. This joy has been secured by the mission that, if you'll remember in Bite Size, that Donna and Rob were talking about in verse 28. This mission has been secured because you are in Jesus. And Jesus has completed his mission of coming to the world and now has gone back to the Father. Your joy, your joy is just not going to be taken away. I have a question. I have to ask you if what Jesus is talking about sounds like what is currently bringing you the most joy. Is it working that way in your life? Or, or the thing that you could imagine if I just had that, that would bring me complete joy. As Jesus is saying, you need to rest your ultimate joy in me. Is that the way it's going for you right now? What brings you the most joy? What things are you counting on for the most pleasure possible? Is it a job? Some achievement at work? Is it a relationship? If I just had that or because I have that, I'm okay. It's all good. Is it a hobby that you get to do? Actually, after you get done work, you get to do the hobby. And man, that just lights lights things up in my life. Is it the thought of retirement? Is it your kids? Is it grandkids? Is it travel? Is it the garden you work in? Is it the pool you have? Is it the friends you have? Or what, what exactly is it that's bringing you the ultimate joy? I want to tell you like, yeah, enjoy every bit of that. Don't, don't stop enjoying any of that. Those are good gifts that come from God, but anchor, anchor your joy in Jesus, the disciples. For them, joy, they were going to go through a period of sorrow, but then joy was coming. For us, we can say, Jesus is risen. He's alive. Joy has come. As we keep moving through this passage, actually, as I was reading this week and rereading, there's some verses here at the end of John 16 that actually serve as a warning to me. So Jesus has explained all this joy that they're going to have and all the connections that he makes there. And remember, we start in the passage that Liz read earlier. We start with the disciples confused. Like, Jesus, we're not so sure, but we don't want to say anything. But we really don't know what you're talking about. But now, it, it, it's almost like the pendulum swings. And the disciples are like, oh, we, we, uh, we process it all now. Look at verse 30. The disciples kind of in unison say, now we know. We know that you know all things. We know that you don't need anyone to question you. We're believing. We know you came from God. I think it reveals a tendency in my own heart even to be overconfident in myself. So, uh, now I get it, Jesus. Now I put it all together. Now I've got all this figured out. I know what's going on. I can interpret. I can take it from here. I got it. 
I'm so grateful for the Lord's patience. Could it have been more painful for the disciples to hear? Jesus actually correct, I think, some of their overconfidence in the next verse. Jesus answered them, do you really now believe? You're so confident in yourself. Do you really now believe? Because the hour is coming. Indeed, it's right here. When you will be scattered. Each of you, you're not going to stay with me. You're going to go to your own place. You're going to go to your own house. And you're going to leave me alone. You're going to abandon me. I'm not alone. The Father is with me. But this is, I mean, he is telling them what their next 24 hours are going to look like. Seems like hearing that. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, you put yourself in that room hearing like, I'm going to leave Jesus? What? He's going to be all alone because of me? Seems like that immediately would take my anxiety level. If I'm really devoted to Jesus, it would take that up. Certainly several notches. I can't imagine more unsettling to hear that night. And Jesus is not done talking to them. I'm so, so grateful. He's not ripping them to shreds. He's actually going to point them after telling them some of the worst news they could possibly have heard. He's going to point them in, I think, a very startling direction. He'll say in verse 33, okay, I've said these things to you that you may have peace that you may have peace in me. You know what? In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But you can take heart because I've overcome the world. So even at the beginning, I said, Jesus really wants his followers to know that joy has come and that peace is possible. Peace is really possible. You know, I think about peace. I think, okay, for Curtis to have peace, things need to really, really settle down around me. Okay, that's when I can really have peace. I don't need turmoil. I don't need chaos. I don't need it in the world. I don't want it around me. I don't want it in my family. If, I, if you just like eliminate all of that, any sort of confusion, frustration, then I, can, then I can have peace. I don't want big problems. I don't want small problems. I want every appliance in my house working well. I don't want any check engine lights coming on in my car. I want the grocery store to be stocked with everything I possibly could want. And I want the Middle East to like settle down and there'd be no problems there. I want trade relations on all continents to work just well, just, just right. I don't want any natural disasters. I don't want to have to worry or have any problems. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with all of that. I think that's what I need to have peace. But the facts are this world is just constantly troubling. If you know me, you know I love to read history. And to read history is to read of wars and violence and disease and injustice and anarchy and corruption and greed and apathy. And that's not just to read history. That's like to watch the news. This is the world we live in. But Jesus says something. He says something to them and it's, it's, it's just like he's telling it to us too. You can, in the midst of all of this crazy world, you can have peace. You can have confidence. You can rest. He says, I'm telling you these things so that you would be able to have peace, so that you would be able to rest. 
And notice the contrast. He says, in me, if you abide in me, if you rest in me, if you make yourself at home with me, then there is going to be a sense of my presence and things are going to be okay. Even while in the world, in the world right now, in me you have peace, in the world, there you're going to have tribulation. There it's going to be hard. And it is going to be complicated. And it is going to be painful. There is no avoiding it. In Jesus we have peace. And we are in the world, so we have tribulation. But peace in the midst of tribulation is still possible. Jesus looks to them. And I love right here at the end, in verse 33, he says, take heart. I take some courage, guys. That expression, take heart, take courage, is the same thing he says to blind men who are begging him to heal them. It's the same thing he said to paralyzed people who desperately wanted to get well. It's the same thing he said to diseased people who came to him saying, I need help. It's the same thing he said to anxious disciples who are literally fearful of drowning. And he says it again and again in the Gospels. And he tells them, as I'm sure only Jesus could tell them, and only Jesus could tell you, you can summon some courage, you can be bold, and actually one way of expressing this is you can be actually overbold. You can be audacious with this. Take courage. Be strong. And this would be an appropriate time to think of those kinds of words, right? This is the time of graduation speeches where this kind of language is used. It's used all the time. It's bold. It's actually, you need to be overbold. You can take some courage here. You got this. So go do something. Go make a difference. Those speeches that come in graduations, one after another, often they sound a lot different than the way John 16 ends. Oh, they, they talk about taking courage. But it's like you can take courage and there's like this optimistic hope. Well, you can take courage. The world's a tough place, but if you follow your dream and you believe in yourself, you are only you, but you are you and you can do something here and you can absolutely make the world a better place for every single human being ever. You hear that in the speeches or sometimes you hear not just maybe this like total optimistic hope, but maybe just kind of a recognition, take courage, but we're kind of at the hands of fate. So that sounds like the, you know, the world's a tough place, but take courage. And you have to learn it is what it is. Some things you can't change. You have to accept that but there will be an answer. For now, just let it be. It'll be all right. There's another way our world says, kind of motivating, take courage, take courage. If a graduating speech might say, the future is in your hands, the world's a tough place, and the tough have to get going. So are you going to get going? Take courage and be strong. No one's going to hand you anything. If you want joy, if you want peace, you want those things in your life, then you get out there and make it happen. Grit your teeth and be the change you want to see in the world. You do it. And Jesus, hear this now. Because sometimes our world is so trained to hearing that. Sometimes we as Christians are so trained to hear those messages. We almost think, yeah, that sounds right to me. But Jesus doesn't point us in as if we are our own self-help guide. He says, take courage because I have overcome the world. Because I have conquered the world. 
because you can rest in the victory, not that you're going to win, but that I've already won. I'm not sure the disciples had a lot of warm fuzzies on the inside. I'm not sure they were ready to take their caps up you know, and throw them in the air and say, all righty, we can do this. But for 2,000 years, Jesus has again and again and again been there for his disciples who say, this world is going crazy. And he says, I've overcome the world. You can still have peace. I have overcome. And his followers have received peace as they look not to themselves, but they look to the one who has won the peace for them. There's presence of tribulation in the world. That's not an obstacle to real peace. Peace is possible. So I don't know everybody who's watching this, but my assumption is that most, most everyone who would be watching today believes that God does run the world, that he is in charge. In the midst of being in charge, you ended up watching this today. You ended up hearing the words of Jesus today. And I wonder why God arranged circumstances for you to hear this today. I don't know what's going on in your heart. Where are you looking as the ultimate source of your joy? Maybe some of those things have been stripped away, taken away. And now you're asking some pretty hard questions. Could it be that you need to reassess where your joy comes from? Could we, even as a church, could I, could I be a help to you? Could we, could we talk about that some more? Where is your joy coming from? Maybe that's a good project to work on this afternoon. All the things I enjoy and then what's ultimate. Do you believe that peace is possible? Do you believe and rest in the fact that Jesus has conquered everything that could wreck your life? Do you need to remind yourself that God is your refuge and strength? So, joy has come. Do you have it? And peace is possible. Are you trusting in Jesus for it? Can I pray for you? Lord, that's my request. I don't know who is watching this right now, and I don't even know when they're going to watch it. But you know, and you can bring circumstances together so that each person watching may find deepest joy in you and peace that passes all understanding in you. Do this to make the name of Jesus great in our world. Amen.